Welcome to Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. Download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre and I'm so thrilled to bring you this curated series of interviews. You'll hear from picture book authors, chapter book authors, middle grade authors, young adult authors and also from publishers in the children's writing industry. So you'll get a wonderful overview on how to write books for kids and teens. You've heard from picture book authors so far, chapter book authors. We're currently hearing from middle grade authors. This episode, you'll be hearing from Tim Harris. Tim is the author of the popular short story collections, Exploding Endings, which is up to number four in the series. His latest middle grade series is Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables, the third of which came out in late 2018. Now, Tim is quite special in that he has made a successful career out of writing short stories for kids. People normally think that there's no market for short story collections, and they're definitely harder to publish than novels or chapter books sometimes. But Tim follows in the tradition of Paul Jennings and writes crazy, naughty, wild and hilarious stories for kids. Well, he must be doing something right because they have proved wildly popular. So here's Tim talking with Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre. Tim Harris is a former primary school teacher and now children's author. His first series of books, Exploding Endings, is hugely popular and the first book in the series, Painted Dogs and Doom Cakes, was awarded Honour Book at the 2017 Koalas. But it's his second series, Mr. Bam Buckles Remarkables, which has really taken off. The first book was awarded a CBCA Notable in 2018 and has been shortlisted for the 2018 Real Awards. He's in hot demand in schools for author visits and workshops and worked in more than 100 schools over the last year. So welcome to the program, Tim. Thank you so much for having me, Alison. Always a pleasure. Now, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. How did the first Exploding Endings come to be published? Right back to the beginning. Um, Well, as a primary school teacher, uh, I spent a lot of time reading stories to my classes and in particular Paul Jennings who's um, a very a very well-loved Australian author of short stories and it got to a point uh, later in my teaching career or about 10 years into the teaching career that I could almost recite some of his stories word for word and um, I think I was getting a bit uh, familiar with the, the structure of the short story so I decided to write a story for a class I was teaching. Uh, and the most incredible thing happened, uh, I'll never forget it because I was so nervous, you know, reading this story to the, it was a bunch of year one boys and I even folded up the story uh, and, and put it inside of Paul Jennings so they, <laughs> so they you know, wouldn't know that I, I wrote it. Uh, and anyway, I read the story and, you know, uh, the book was shaking and uh, my voice was very quivery but got through it and, and had fun. But then I received um, an email from one of the parents of the boys in the class and she said, um, Dear Mr. Harris, uh, what was the name of the story that you read the class today because my son can't stop talking about it? And I was pretty chuffed with that. And anyway, so I wrote back to her and you know, I said, Thank you for your feedback. I wrote the story. Um, and she said, you know, Do you mind if you send it through so he can read it again? So I, I shot it off in email. 
then I received an email from her again uh, a week or two later, and, and she said, Dear Mr. Harris, um, I'm not sure if you're aware what I do, but I've um, got a master's in children's literature, and I'm involved in the Children's Book Council of Australia. Oh, you're kidding. And this is a very good short story. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the most amazing thing. And um, so she, she this, uh, her name was Rachel, and she was so supportive, and she actually came in after school and helped me workshop some story ideas to, to kind of get me started. But it gave me a taste um, of, of writing and um, haven't looked back since then. That's amazing. Like That's just one of those stories that you know, that doesn't happen, right? But there it is. It's happened. No, it, it, it absolutely doesn't, yeah. And with the third exploding endings, I actually decided to, uh, to dedicate it to Rachel because without, I always say to her, without that one email... Uh, I don't think it ever would have happened because it was sort of a, a you know a one-off exercise at the time. So you weren't so okay. That was a question I was going to ask you a bit later, but we'll ask we'll go there now. Were you, so you weren't writing at the time. It was just like oh, I'm going to have a go and see if I can do this. You hadn't sort of been faffing about with story ideas or anything up until that point. No, not at all. In fact, my writing had sort of been um, purely songwriting and that, that was a creative outlet. But just before our first child was born, um, I had to, had to give that music scene away because it was just the late nights where it would have killed me with a newborn. Um, and so then, um, yeah, so that first sort of story was experimented on the class. After that, I actually had a go at writing um, a much more serious book, a young adult science fiction book, and I got 40,000 words in and just, it was doing my head in, so I actually ripped it up and threw it away and, and then went back to writing uh, oh. humorous short stories for the primary age. Um, when I say ripped it up, you know, it's in the uh, <laughs> deleted in the, in the inbox, but I think I'm sure it's there somewhere. I could probably dig it out one day, but I'm a bit too scared to... <laughs> <laughs> to see what happened. So you had been writing songs, though, up until that point of the first story. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that sort of had, like, given that you write short stories for the most part, do you think that that had any, um, do you think the songwriting craft assisted with any of that? Quite, I think it potentially gave me the, the discipline to, to see a story through because um, with songs I was always a music first type of guy and then the lyrics came um, second and I struggled often with lyrics um, and, and you know and it ended up sort of learning that discipline to at least finish it so then there's a complete song uh, and and that skill was definitely used for short stories as well that seeing it through to the end that self-discipline this has to get finished so that's probably all I took from it because my songs weren't narrative based they were more conceptual uh, and so I don't think there was much of a story influence that, that went through um, when I started writing for kids. Okay, so when you started putting the short stories together for that first Exploding Endings book, you were working full-time as a teacher. Um, you have a young family of three kids. You know, How did you fit the writing in for those first books, like when you were producing um, a whole bunch of short stories at, at, at a time? Yeah, it's, you know, it's amazing. And I've heard some authors say this on the podcast before that if you give up television, <laughs> it's amazing what you can get done. <laughs> and look, so I do. True. I love my, I love a bit of television and I'm a bit of a sucker for live sport. That's sort of my downfall. Um, but I did, I, I gave up television, um, to, to free up a bit of extra time, uh, when it, when it, 
when I was first going because school teaching it can be a very intensive job after hours. There's mm. a lot of paperwork, mm. and so um, I just thought, yeah, that sort of passion to and drive to see stories finished. I thought, well, something has to give, and obviously I can't drop the ball for teaching. Uh, so reality television. Well, child, I haven't looked back since reality television was <laughs> dropped because there is some rubbish on TV, Alison. <laughs> oh, no, really? Oh, you don't say. Um, okay. <laughs> so, did you put together a whole book of short stories and then submit that to a publisher as a, as a concept? Or did you sort of sell the idea before you wrote? Like, how did the actual publishing of those books come together? Because they're an unusual – for like, the short story format is – um, of kids' books is obviously like there's there's a, quite a few of them out there, but I think a lot of people would struggle with the idea of how to actually present that to a publisher. Like this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, definitely. It was hard because um, I was listening to to your podcast and another, another podcast and hearing that short stories there wasn't a huge demand for them. Um, and I was checking on publishers' websites and they'd say things like, you know, this, this month we're accepting young adult or whatever, but they would often have a little call that said, strictly no short stories. Oh. Um, so the idea of packaging them to a publisher was quite daunting and I did, I did send off a snippet of one story to, um, Penguin Random House and I didn't hear anything back from them and ironically now they actually published Mr. Van Buckle's Remarkable so it's kind of cool that, that I ended up being able to publish something with them. Mm. Um, so I decided to self-publish and that was based on uh, some of the students at school were really encouraging me of me and uh, Rachel was as well and she kept saying, you know, how were you up to with your stories and have you thought about putting them together uh, in that Paul Jennings kind of style because in the uh, 80s and 90s his books were so popular and they, mm. they were the exact format that I was gunning for, those um, you know, self-contained short stories. Um, so, yes, yeah, so in the end, I decided to self-publish and bypass traditional until Facebook can be a great thing, until my stepmom, uh, uh, I think she might have tagged me in a post um, with a, a smaller publisher um, based on the South Coast, and I thought, oh, okay, I hadn't sort of, really done too much research with the smaller publishers, just the big ones. So I clicked on the website and uh, it was Harbour Publishing and it just looked like a really well-run publishing business that was family-owned. Uh, it looked like great people were involved and, I, and it was a very inspired submission actually because it was, I think it was about 10 o'clock at night when I was going through Facebook and looking on their website and I should have I should have been in bed but I actually stayed up quite late until about I think 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning um, writing this very inspired cover letter and, uh, and editing a snippet to send off to them. Uh, anyway, so I, I sent it off that night um, and then a few months later received a phone call and they said, um, we like the, the story and we'd like to publish um, a collection of short stories with floating endings. And that's how um, that series was published. How exciting. Um, and so, of course, you were at that point dancing in your pyjamas, weren't you? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It was actually it was funny. It was uh, New Year's Eve when I found out about five p.m. And wow. so you know you're in good 
good spirits anyway, but that was such a great way to bring in the new year, knowing that the following year um, I'd have a book on the shelf. That that's exciting. exciting. That's the one New Year's Eve that's not a letdown, right? That's not anticlimactic. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I don't, I don't even think I lasted until midnight. <laughs> you know, you, you start off with the kids and watch the 9 o'clock fireworks and then you're just shattered. <laughs> yeah, you get that. That's pretty much how mine roll as well. Um, now, so ex- exploding endings are very popular, remain very popular. Like There's box sets of them out there and all sorts of things going on, but I think it's probably fair to say that it's Mr. Bambuckle and his Remarkables that really made your career explode last year because you really were just all of a sudden there you were. Um, so when did you have the idea for for Mr. Bambuckle? Yeah, it was um, it was very much in collaboration with um, my publisher Zoe Walton at Penguin Random House. She, after exploding any three, came out. Um, she got in touch to, to see if I had any other ideas for stories, uh, which was another very exciting email mm. to receive um, because Penguin Random House were very much my dream publisher. Uh, so I, I took my ideas book in and, and had a big chat with Zoe and she said, have you ever thought about using your stories to you know, create um, a character-based series as opposed to having them as self-contained short stories. Uh, and I hadn't really thought of that. So I remember driving home and, and thinking, yeah, you know, look, I spent a lot of time in schools and a lot of kids' books are set in schools. And it's, it's almost, um, yeah, it's a very sort of safe, you know, way to frame a story. But, but could I think of a different angle? And, uh, and then I suppose I wanted to, to write a very happy, positive school story uh, with, with a teacher who, you know, saw the best in all of his students and, and the uniqueness. And that way, the short stories could get involved because there are all these unique little short stories that could be completely separate or self-contained. But if you suddenly put them into this classroom um, with this one teacher, then there was the chance for an overarching storyline as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so after a bit more brainstorming, I then um, pitched um, the idea of having Mr. Van Buckle, the, the teacher, although I think he was called a different name back then, Mr. Thick, I think. Oh. Um, actually, you know, just Hard on a imagine. side note, it took a whole month to name him <laughs> because uh, we just we just weren't happy with any of the names that I was coming up with. And in the end, I literally flicked through the dictionary. You can see I got up to B. <laughs> <laughs> got up to Buckle. And, uh, and, yeah, anyway, so his name was manufactured at a later point. Uh, yes, but I pitched the idea, um, and Zoe really liked it, and so then we went went from there. So, at what point? Because you are essentially full time as an author now, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do a bit of. I think with the teaching background, that was very helpful uh, because it freed up um, my days by doing after hours tutoring, and that was a nice thing that worked uh-huh. out well. Cause uh, when I resigned from teaching, I wanted to be able to say yes to any school who asked me to visit. I, I didn't want to say no to anything. And the only way to do that was to adjust working hours to um, oh, right. after school. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I still do a little bit of um, workshopping um, with students and their creative writing, but otherwise very much full time with it. Okay. So one of the questions I was going to ask you about that is because I guess, you know, um, as you say, the, the, the Mr. Bambuckle series is, is quite classroom-based and um, obviously all of your short stories are kind of kid-based and stuff. Um, I wonder if you miss, now that you're full-time, do you kind of miss that day-to-day immersion in kid culture? Because it is strangely, um, when you're part of it, 
you're hearing the kind of you're hearing the talk all the time. You're seeing what they're talking about. You're seeing what makes them laugh. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Do you miss that at all? I, I do, and I miss the relationship part of that because when you you get to hang out with the same group of kids, it's it's really fun, and and those conversations can be built on over a long period of time. Mm. Um, but as opposed to that, uh, I do not miss the, the administration, no. the paperwork <laughs> and the emails and the meetings. <laughs> and that definitely makes up for it. Yeah, so I, I do miss that uh, interaction, which is why I think I enjoy visiting schools so much. Mm. And, you know, and then being, I guess it's, it's like that cold face, isn't it? That cold front of, of um, chatting to the children about ideas or test, test running ideas. And I know... Um, uh, Tristan Banks is amazing at, at testing brand spanking new ideas out with kids. And I've, I've started trying it just a little bit to see what it's like. And I think there's a great deal that can be learnt from um, discussing potential ideas with your audience because mm. you don't get that opportunity many times. And you know, mm. going into school it gives you that chance. I know Andy Griffiths, when we interviewed him a thousand years ago, because his podcast is about a thousand years old now, um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he talked about the same thing, that it was something that he did. I think it takes an enormous amount of courage to kind of take a brand spanking new idea out into the light and just see if kids think it's funny. Like, I think that <laughs> takes a huge yeah, amount that, of courage does, to do cause that. It, some, yeah, because some things can be, you can be so certain of it in your mind. And then if you, if it either could be your execution or the, the way you frame it to the kids, but it can fall flat and it's very demoralizing. Uh, it's only happened once where a, a brand new idea kind of fell flat. Um, but usually kids are, you know, they're pretty encouraging. Maybe they're just too polite. I, I was going to say, but can you tell the difference? Like if they're humoring you as opposed to finding it actually funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think <laughs> deep down you certainly can. <laughs> look at that old guy trying to be amusing. Let's just make it. Yeah, let's yeah. laugh politely, shall we? <laughs> yeah. That idea sucks. That's never going to be a story. <laughs> there should be, maybe there should be kids working in, in a slush pile and publishing. Oh, I think there should. I actually think there should because that's the thing with them, isn't it? You really know. Like even if you're – like I, I, don't, I don't sort of tend to test ideas, but every once in a while I'll pull out a joke – and, you know, it'll be something that works really well at 98, you know, as part of a presentation at 98% of schools. Yep. <laughs> and then you'll stand in front of one group that just looks at you as if you've grown two heads and you're like, okay, <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, it can, and then, you know, then you get a bit anxious for the next school, but of course they will go back to that being yeah, the majority exactly. and make you feel better about yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. This is clearly it was them, not you. So um, now you mentioned <laughs> yeah. your ideas book, and I've seen it because you brought it along to the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival. Um, and it's kind of a work of art. Like you've got photos and images and notes, and it's very comprehensive. Is, is that something that you've always done as a writer or is, has that evolved over time? Uh, it, it is something that I've done and oh, I think it was, um, oh no, I can't remember the, the name, but it was an illustrator came um, and visited one of the schools I was teaching at quite early on and it's something that, that, that stuck with me even though the illustrator's name hasn't. <laughs> but he had an ideas book and it was this beautifully presented, mm. uh, of course it was filled with illustrations and things, but I love that idea of having uh, a, I guess I'll call it a neat and tidy, you know, well-kept notebook um, with your treasures inside or your best ideas. And so 
um, very early on I started keeping that and because I can't draw and I'm just not at all artistic I thought <laughs> the best way around that is to uh, print photos concept photos for stories and, and stick them in and, and you know do my best to make it look nice and you know put a bit of value on those ideas um, early on almost every idea went in but now um, I've got more of a post-it note system where I'll jot down a new idea on a post-it note and if I still think it has legs a week or months later, then I'll give it a, a proper page oh. with some concept photos and, and, and more notes. So it becomes so page-worthy. Become, yeah, that's right, page-worthy. And it becomes mm. a very trusted source of ideas. So if ever I'm looking for something, then I'll go to that book knowing that that's where the best ideas are um, instead of looking through pages and pages and pages and you know, not sure what I'll find. Uh, so yes, uh, I haven't used it for a little while because I'm working on a new series at the moment, but I've decided to give the new series its um, its own ideas book. So Ooh. every idea that I think could be used in this series goes into that separate wow. ideas book. Um, but it's very messy at the moment. I'll <laughs> you might have to rewrite the whole ideas book at the end just to make it look nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right, so um, now the promotion side of being an author is something that can come as a bit of a shock to to authors. Is it something that you find – does it come naturally to you? Like are you, are you happy to be sort of out there hustling your books, so to speak? Yeah, I'm very happy um, to be out there and, and that's because having that background in teaching um, made the number one place to promote books, which is schools, uh, not – too daunting mm. uh, and it's still you know if there's a big festival or something I'll still I'll get a little bit of nervous energy and excitement beforehand but generally for a, a typical school visit um, I absolutely love it and um, it's not yeah not too intimidating I think some things that I do find a bit intimidating since um, certainly since Mr. Bambuckle was released are the uh, like a very small intimate bookshop gathering uh, I'd, I'd actually prefer to have three or four hundred kids there instead of um, 10 or 12. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's a claustrophobia thing. I'm not sure. I think it's the <laughs> um, but intensity. I find those really small ones. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. That intensity and um, everything's so close and it's so, I don't know, I feel like you're being watched. <laughs> um, <laughs> you yeah, are. I find those ones a lot harder than the big ones. Yeah, look, you are. You are. That's right. Um, yeah, and I think another thing, like like most things in life, with practice, it does become a lot easier, and uh, I think the more the more I've done uh, different events in schools or, or festivals or these little bookshop events, um, you feel more and more, I guess, confident in the way you can approach them. And, and like you were saying, you know, dipping into those tool bags or those go-to jokes or lines or things that you can talk about, um, because the more you do it, of course, then the more you can draw on. Different things. Do you do you just do the yeah. same presentation at every school, or do you have a range of different presentations and workshops that you do? I definitely have a range because uh, one one thing that I think this is, would be a bit of advice I'd give to authors who are just beginning to promote is check to see what each school wants. Uh, I think it might have been Deborah Bella that said that in an interview with you as well. Mm. Just to make sure that you're going to you know, cover, I guess, their expected outcomes. Mm. So if a school says, we're happy for you just to present, then I'll sort of, it, it, it's like a little a greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Harris' greatest hits comes out and it's all those go-to things that we were talking about. Um, and that's, you know, that's a very comfortable presentation. But if, if a school wants a workshop 
and you know they're working on dialogue with their students, um, then I'll either have to go through all the workshops I've done and pull those bits out, or create something from scratch to kind mm. of tailor it. Um, and it can be a lot of hard work beforehand. You know, um, I think people often think it's just those three times one hour sessions or whatever it is that you're doing, I think that's the only work involved. But of course there is a lot of um, preparation and research that goes into it beforehand. Mm. Um, And so I think early on my first probably 15 to 20 school visits, I spent hours and hours and hours uh, creating all these different PowerPoints. But now that hard work's paid off because I can dip back into them when I need. um, And creating things things from scratch isn't, isn't... as time consuming. No, that's and that's the interesting thing too, because I remember when I was starting out, I had a presentation that I did, and that was fine. Um, and then I would, I, I got a regular booking where I was going back to the same school like once a year, basically. And every time I went back, we discussed what they were doing, and I would create a new workshop. And so I ended up with these three or four terrific workshops that I'd created from scratch for this one school for this one day's visit. But then I've been able to wheel those out at you know, countless other yeah. schools ever since. So I think it's sometimes worth really thinking about how you're going to, um, what kinds of things schools are going to ask for over and over and, you know, have a workshop on plotting, have a workshop on this, have a workshop on that. And then you're ready, you know, that's, that's then tailored back to your books as well. And then you're kind of ready to go no matter what, you know, you can say to them, well, I have these five workshops. This is what I do. Which one do you want? And then it's quite yeah. easy all around. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I do definitely agree with that. And um, I know some agencies as well on their website, they'll have what you do, um, you know, three or four different workshops that have been, you know, pre-discussed or pre-arranged with yeah. the author. And so that makes it very easy as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's, you know, you're just running around in circles trying to, you know, create things from scratch every single time. Yeah, that's right. Do you spend much time online as far as like doing sort of social media sort of promotion and that sort of thing? I look, I probably spend a bit too much time online. It's it's such a it's such a time killer. Um, but I really, yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit better at, at managing it because um, I also enjoy seeing what other people are doing, and, and that's where I've drawn a lot of inspiration for how I've done um, my school visits. Um, is through you know watching other people's photos or videos, and you know picking up things here and there. So I spend probably. Uh, about 40% of the time would be on Instagram, I think, and then mm-hmm. the other, uh, actually probably 40 on Facebook as well, or Twitter is the least I use mm. just because I'm not a confident Twitter user. Mm. Um, yeah, and just it might be taking a photo of a school visit or if I'm working in the office, um, just a little uh, update or tip or retweeting someone else's tip or article or blog. Um, so that's probably how I would spend most of my time online. Uh, and then, of course, there are, cat videos and fail videos <laughs> and cricket inflations, <laughs> how chocolate is made and all these things that you suddenly go, oh, I could have written 600 words in that time. <laughs> but you just put it in the ideas <laughs> book, right? <laughs> Call it inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. Now, let's talk about your hat because I'm pretty sure it's really funny because I sit, was at the um, at the Narrow Library the other day before the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival and I said, has anyone seen Tim yep. Harris? And they said, is he the guy in the hat? <laughs> I suddenly realised <laughs> I've never seen you without your hat. So is that a is, is your signature hat a deliberate move or do you just simply never travel without a hat ever? <laughs> do you know, it, it actually was a deliberate move. Back in the music days, I, I kind of had long, not long, long hair, but um, sort of over the a little bit over the eyes and a little bit long at the back. 
type type of look, and that was you know that was the music look and in the album photos and all that kind of thing. And then on um, on our honeymoon, my wife bought me this this really great black hat, and it was so comfortable. And because it was a very sentimental thing, you know, bought on the honeymoon, I kind of wore it um, in my last few gigs as a musician. And then when I first started visiting schools, um, and also cause at the same time, you know, when I was first visiting schools, I was doing a, a lot of research about, you know, what other authors are doing, how can you sort of set yourself apart, I suppose, and, you know, to be frank, it, there's a lot of branding involved, you know, um, because you kind of have to just, you know, brand yourself. And so I did make a very conscious decision that, you know, I'm just I'm going to wear a hat. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, and so, yes. Yeah, and so then, you know, suddenly the next thing, you know, getting these author photos taken and I think, oh, actually, well, I better wear the hat. <laughs> so uh, so I've been thinking about for my next series, uh, which will come out uh, about this time next year, I'm thinking about potentially a, a bit of a rebranding. Ooh. But I don't know. I've got no idea what that involves. Will it be a new hat or will it be? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, but maybe not with a hat. So. That's so funny. Yeah, and uh, there's another children's author in Australia and she wears red every time she visits, does a public um, appearance. She'll, an article of her clothing uh, will be red. Uh, there are other authors that, that have different, different hats as well and um, oh. some have the same of shirt that they wear. So yeah, it's very interesting seeing, seeing what people do, but it, it gives them, gives them a bit of, uh, a recognisable look. Yeah. I think I just what, wear my hair. Your, I just yours? wear my hair. I think that's what I do. I'm just thinking about it and I'm like, what would my branding thing be? And I think I'm basically just that redhead one. But then Jen Stora <laughs> also has the frizzy red hair. So I don't know. Maybe I need to reassess. Maybe I need a look. <laughs> well, I need a, I need well, a hat. Maybe, that, maybe there's a collaboration calling. <laughs> Maybe Alice there is. Maybe there is. Crazy <laughs> redheads. It could be good, actually. Um, now, you mentioned a new series. I know you have a new Mr. Bambuckle book out like any minute now. When is that two weeks, three weeks, yeah. September? Yeah. Yeah, about two and a half weeks away. Okay. So, um, September for the, for the third, it's the third book in the series. Am I right? Mr. What's it called? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's called Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables Go Wild. And in this. Um, episode in the series uh, that the classroom is no longer the setting and it's the campsite. So it's, um, it mm. opened up a whole lot of opportunities for different stories and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting it into the hands of readers. Fantastic. And so what's next year's series? Are you able to talk about that yet or is that under wraps? Uh, no, I think I, I can. Um, so Mr. Van Buckle Remarkables number four um, is almost completely finished. I'm working on the copy edit at the moment, at the back end of the copy edit, and so that will, um, those pages will, will be ready to, to proofread in a couple of months. So that's almost finished and that will be out early next year. Mm. And then I've just signed a, a new three book deal with Penguin Random House for the next series, um, which is, without giving too much away, it's, it's a bit of a nod to all the dreamers. And uh, on the back of my year 12, Jersey in high school, I had uh, Dreamer uh, oh. written across in big white letters, you know how everyone chooses, you know, the nickname or whatever. Yeah. And that was because I just kept looking out the window thinking, and also it's a great song by Supertrain, my favourite <laughs> artist. Uh, so that, that fitted nicely. And so it's a nod to all these dreamers. It's about this, this 10-year-old boy, his name is Chegwin Toffel, and he's an absolute daydreamer who's always, unfortunately, getting himself into trouble um, because he's lost in his thoughts. Um, and people don't, you know, think very highly of him. They think he's 
not clever or whatnot, because he's actually quite clever. Anyway, he out of the blue he inherits um, a hotel, and so his he and the clause in the inheritance is that whoever um, takes this on has, has to live on site and run the hotel. And mm-hmm. So suddenly you've got this ten-year-old dreamer in charge of this massive hotel, and any problem that comes along, he'll solve it in his very unique, dreamy, you know, outside the box kind of way. So I'm super excited about this series and, uh, yeah, into the first draft of the first book at the moment. What fun. All right, well, thank you so much for talking to us today. If you'd like to see more about Tim's books or his journey or see what he's got coming up next year, visit timharrisbooks.com.au. Um, you'll find the link in the show notes. And um, best of luck with the new Mr. Bambuckle. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, The Book of Secrets, and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. I love that image of Tim reading out his first story to his school kids, his voice all quavery. He could hardly have imagined then that he would be the successful author that he is now. Tim took an interesting route in his journey to publication. He was going to self-publish, but then decided to try out a smaller publishing house. Of course, you want to aim high, so to speak. Everyone dreams of landing with one of the big four publishers. But there are so many great small presses that writers should definitely not overlook, especially for niche and harder-to-place manuscripts. You'll often find that they are more personal and can offer really great support for budding authors. In fact, the more knowledge you can arm yourself with before you approach publishers, the better placed you'll be when you start sending out your manuscript. Learn more about the ins and outs of the publishing industry, including your rights as an author, and whether the traditional or indie market is best for you with the online course, Inside Publishing, What You Need to Know to Get Published. This is an awesome course and you can do it at your own pace, and it is absolutely jam-packed with really useful information and is a must for anyone who's interested in getting published. So just go to writerscentercomau slash publishing. That's writerscentercomau slash publishing. Like many of the middle grade authors we've spoken with, Tim does a lot of work making sure his school visits are awesome. They're such an important part of being an author and in this day and age, you can't really afford not to get up in front of your audience. So if you do have a hankering to write for school-aged kids, start working on those presentation skills. You're going to need them. And look out for our course on how to do an author talk as well. If you want to find a writing community that could just be the tribe you're looking for, go to writercentre.com.au and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Thanks for listening, everyone.